Hello and welcome to this Net Zero Investor podcast. I'm Monica Woodley. Many emerging market countries seem like the perfect fit for net zero investors with the natural resources and climate conditions that are ideal to develop renewable energy, such as hydro, solar, and wind energy. They are often also the countries most vulnerable to the impacts of climate change and therefore should be the most willing to go green. But that all depends on investment, both public and private, which has been sadly lacking. By 2030, annual renewable energy investment in emerging countries needs to be multiplied by more than seven times, from less than $150 billion to over $1 trillion, according to the IEA, in order to keep the world on track to reach net zero emissions by 2050 and to meet these countries' energy needs. Today, I'm joined by Nawar Al-Sadi, founder and CEO of Kanada Advisors, an ESG advisory firm. And we're going to talk about the challenges and opportunities in emerging markets for net zero investors. Welcome, Noir. Hello, Monica. Thank you. Happy to be with you. Great. Well, let's um, let's kick off with talking about how you see the, the scale of the opportunity in investing for net zero investors in emerging markets and talk a little bit about how you think they div- differ from the investable opportunities in developed markets. I, I certainly think that uh, engaging uh, or at least investing with uh, in emerging markets to tackle uh, climate change and to uh, put the world on a path to net zero is critically important. If you look at the distribution of uh, global GHG emissions, uh, 65% of them actually come from uh, emerging markets, and that, that includes China. The scale of the investment opportunities is enormous. Last year's standard uh, charter put a very detailed research study on the amount of capital required to align emerging markets with net zero. And they estimated that we do need to invest an additional uh, $95 trillion between today and 2060. The oh, problem wow. is that <laughs> these are very large numbers and we don't really have a kind of benchmark to really understand. Mm-hmm. But they're just really speak to how sizable the opportunity is and how impactful um, uh, tackling these markets uh, would be to address that zero. I think just on your your, um, second question in terms of where the opportunity is and how they differ from developing markets, you briefly touched on that in your introduction when you talked about hydro energy. And just to go back to your question, Monica, into uh, how do these markets differ from developed markets, I would say the The starting point is that a lot of these markets are in a different stage of development. So when it comes, for example, to investing in infrastructure for power generation, for example, a lot of these markets can leapfrog into renewable energy. Based on the estimates that I've kind of came across recently, 88% of uh, electricity demand between today and 2040 is going to come from emerging markets. And a lot of that supply can be met through uh, Mm -hmm. renewable energy investments. So similar to what happened with the cell phones, when a lot of countries immediately kind of leaped, emerging market countries uh, leaped into uh, digital uh, phones and cell phones, I think we can do a lot of that with a lot of renewable energy investments. Also, on top of that, I think it's important to keep in mind that when it comes to renewable energy in particular, China is truly a powerhouse in the production of Mm -hmm. wind energy components, solar energy models, batteries. I mean, we're talking 80 to 90 percent of the these components come from China. So -hmm. there is no transition to net zero without investing in these companies and having a country like China as well transitioning itself. So the emerging uh, country markets are both investment opportunity, but also important for the supply chain of uh, providing solutions for the rest of the world to decarbonize. Well, I I guess um, 
there are the standard challenges that we see with investing in, in emerging markets, but I, I guess particularly investing in this space, um, what do you see as, as the key challenges? I know, for example, that ESG data and, and corporate disclosures are often less available and, and less robust than for more developed markets. Well, the challenges are the same. They've been the same for a long time. Yeah. Just starting out with just investing in emerging markets, whether for ESG or climate purposes or not, mm-hmm. there's always a worry around uh, market volatility, corruption, um, uh, questionable property rights, you know, heavy government's interference, high political risk. These risks are, they impact both kind of mainstream investors and sustainable investors. And uh, maybe it's it's good to share an example that happened a couple of months ago when Zimbabwe, for example, suddenly came with a law that um, imposed a 50% levy on all carbon credits that are being sold out of uh, projects that are being built in Zimbabwe to restore nature and protect forests, which are then converted into carbon credits. Now, there are issues with that market, but the, the the essence of this is that investors can invest in projects that are impactful if they worry that the next day there would be a big change mm-hmm. um, around regulation. And some of the projects you mentioned earlier at the start of the introduction around hydro energy and a lot of infrastructure investments require commitments for 20 years or 30 years. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that clarity, then obviously you can't invest. I mean, we can talk about other uh, challenges on ESG disclosure and that, yes, that would include a disclosure, but th- there is improvement on that front. And, and I think as we touch maybe on the engagement side of things, we can uh, dive a bit deeper on, on, on this particular challenge around ESG disclosure. Yeah, I was thinking that if, if overall data and disclosures are, are not quite as, as strong as, as they are in, in other places, that that makes engagement even more important when trying to invest in these companies. I guess, but what are the challenges within the engagement space um, with emerging market companies and how can net zero investors overcome those? So last year, I gave a workshop to the PRI, the Principles for Responsible Investments, on engaging with emerging markets. And uh, there were about 40 or 50 asset managers present that we had a, a great conversation around their challenges. And I would say ESG data disclosure was the number one challenge. Uh, the mm-hmm. problem is you can't engage with companies if you don't understand how they're performing from an ESG perspective. So what happens is a lot of engagements with emerging market uh, companies are focused on the data, just getting the data. Mm -hmm. And since we don't have mechanisms to verify the accuracy of the data, even when this data is disclosed, sometimes it's questionable, the methodologies Mm -hmm. are not clear. So investors don't have uh, sufficient confidence to engage around them. Now, on that front, I would say there's been major I mean, I would say notable progress. Earlier this year, a major think tank in China called the China Enterprise Reform and Development Society published an ESG disclosure framework for the Chinese market, which will probably form the basis of a regulatory disclosure regime for um, Chinese companies on ESG risks. The recent ISSB standards on ESG disclosure will probably also inform a lot of regulators in emerging markets around the way they should uh, require companies, uh, especially public companies in these markets, uh, how they should disclose and communicate their ESG risks. So there is progress on disclosure, but there are, I would say, other deeper challenges besides disclosure. One of the challenges that we don't often hear about is the fact that 
the concentration of ownership in emerging market is very high. 73% of the companies in the MSCI Emerging Market Index are controlled by dominant shareholders, which own more than 30% of the shares. This compares to about 15%, 16% in the U.S., Engaging with companies that have dominant shareholders is very difficult because they have no incentive to deal with minority shareholders. And it's often that the dominant shareholder is a government entity. So that mm-hmm. you know further complicates the engagement process. And then finally, you just have sometimes simple logistic, logistical challenges around language, time zones, geographical distance, culture. A lot of engagement is, is, is around communication. So I, I do think it is as important as engagement, the engagement process is with emerging market companies, it's immensely more complicated and difficult compared to, I would say, uh, companies in developed markets or, uh, you know, whether it's the US or, US or Europe or uh, potentially Japan as well. Well, um, as you just mentioned, you know, often with these companies having the state as a large um, shareholder, um, you also mentioned earlier issues of, of corruption, just more state interference um, in a lot of these emerging market companies. So is the state just a more important actor? How does this factor into stewardship and investment decisions for net zero investors? Yeah, to to give you an order of magnitude, for example, in the Chinese market, around 40% of publicly traded companies have a government majority uh, owner. And and that's not just, uh, there is another 8% that have what is called a principal uh, shareholder, which is the largest shareholder, Mm -hmm. not only 30%, but also a sizable shareholder, which is also the government. In some companies like Saudi Arabia, 88% of the companies uh, have the government as a dominant shareholder. I would say in these circumstances, when you have dominant shareholders, where you have the government playing such a, a large role in public markets, engaging through the equity venue is probably not the right approach to drive change because as an as a shareholder you don't have a lot of rights and you can't really force a company a companies to do what you want them to do or at least um, influence them or, or pressure them in an effective way I would say in this context the best approach would be to engage with these companies through the fixed income market a lot of these companies, they still need to access capital. They need uh, to access Western capital markets. And that's really the opportunity for, I would say, for investors, asset managers, and asset owners to demand clarity and transparency on ESG performance, on, uh, on, on ESG data. You can embed that as covenant in your, uh, in your lending. You can potentially withhold capital or, or increase the price of capital if, if, if companies were not to provide that information. So I think that dynamic is sometimes missing when we talk about engagement because often we think about it purely from the equity standpoint. But mm-hmm. I think when it comes to emerging markets, fixed income is probably a more effective way to engage with companies, especially the, the ones that are controlled by uh, large entities such as the government. Okay. Well, considering everything that we've, we've just discussed, which emerging markets do you see as the most promising for net zero opportunities, or are there any specific areas within net zero opportunities that that you think are particularly interesting? I would say to some extent that the answer to this question depends on whether the investor is looking for impact or financial return or both. Mm-hmm. There are investment opportunities that can that has a potential to drive, I would say, both impact and return, such as the supply chain of renewable energy in China, as we mentioned earlier. This industry needs to scale, need to continue to scale, not just in China, as a matter of fact, I mean, all over the world, but we do need to have a sufficient supply of components such as 
solar panels and battery models and, and so on. And I think that's both an impactful opportunity and a profitable opportunity. I would say also investing in the metals and minerals that are required to build the renewable energy infrastructure uh, is important. And a lot, a lot of emerging market countries, whether it's in Latin America or Africa, do have a lot of uh, natural resources that can be used in this fashion. Obviously, the challenge here is you have to mine responsibly. You have to make sure that you're not creating mm-hmm. more environmental and biodiversity risk by investing in, in these resources. But we do expect, I mean, the IEA expects that we are going to have a shortage in a lot of these key minerals. And we can't transition away from fossil fuels without getting a supply, a steady supply of um, lithium, nickel, copper, and so on. But to me, the most exciting opportunity is actually it's an opportunity that is um, essentially social in its nature, but it's very impactful from a climate perspective. Project Drawdown, which is a nonprofit that looks at climate solutions, they they did explore the the opportunity to invest in uh, in education and women women empowerment, and they did find out that you could potentially remove seventy gigatons of GHG emissions by investing in education and women's health. And just to put seventy gigatons in context, that's uh, about a year and a half of global emissions. So it is it's a substantial amount, yeah. but why it does matter because ultimately a lot of the solutions to climate change tie back to education, tie back to mm-hmm. uh, proper family planning, ties back to uh, people making responsible and informed choices. So I think investors, to the extent they can, for example, find opportunities through social impact uh, bonds or social impact project focusing on education, on healthcare, mm-hmm. they get to uh, basically hit, uh, you know, a uh, two birds with one stone by both helping the standard of living, enhancing the standard of living in a lot of these uh, markets and empowering women, as well as addressing climate change at the same time. Because we have to keep in mind, while I think in in developed markets, we do do focus a lot on environmental issues and on climate change, a lot of emerging markets, they still do have, they do struggle uh, on the social side of things as well. And we do need to think about these kind of dual uh, approaches to addressing climate. And in that context, that would be my uh, preferred approach. Now, that's a really good point that uh, perhaps by thinking a little bit outside of the box in terms of what you invest in, that you can actually get a bit more um, more bang for your buck and support a just transition, which is obviously a, a key concern when investing in emerging markets. Well, Noor, thank you. <laughs> Interesting as always to, to speak with you. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.